What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Dan Heath is a senior fellow at Duke University's Case Center which supports entrepreneurs fighting for social good He lives in Durham North Carolina where he and his brother Chip have written 3 New York Times best-selling books Made to Stick Switch and Decisive. Their books have sold over 2 million copies worldwide and have been translated into 33 languages, including Thai, Arabic, and Lithuanian. The Power of Moments is their most recent book. In this book, they explore why certain brief experiences can jolt us, elevate us, and change us, and how we can learn to create such extraordinary moments in our life and work. Dan, thank you for joining us on What Got You There? How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. So you and your brother, Chip, wrote this incredible book. Obviously, you guys have done multiple ones in the past, but I want to know, how do you and your brother decide to write the book, The Power of Moments? Well, there's actually a, a kind of a troubled backstory there. Our, our <laughs> first three backstory. books. <laughs> yeah. So our first three books, we had no trouble coming up with the topics. We uh, we just kind of naturally stumbled forward and found something we were fascinated by, and 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 that was it. And then when it came to the fourth book, which this became, we had several false starts out of the gate. We'd start a book and research it for a couple of months and then decide, mm, we don't really want to do that one. And, and in fact, we had, we had locked onto a topic and we were together at Christmas. He lives in California and I'm in North Carolina and my parents are here as well. And so he flew in for Christmas and we were at my dad's, uh, in my dad's study, brainstorming this book idea and and it became kind of a slog, to be honest. I think we were both sensing that, oh, no, this is another book idea we're going to discard because our heart's not in it. And at some point in this discussion, the phrase defining moments popped up. I don't even really remember how. And we just started this crazy tangent on the fact that whatever span of life you look at, whether you're talking about an entire life or whether you're talking about a, a year in college or even really short experiences like a dinner out or uh, a hotel stay. What's remarkable is that for any given stretch of experience, there are certain moments that really stand above the rest. And in fact, in memory, a lot of times, all you may remember are certain moments from an experience that lasted an hour or a day or a week or a month. And so we got interested in that. We started brainstorming, why is that? And we started batting stories back and forth of where we noticed that happening. And at a certain point in the discussion, it occurred to us, there are people in the world who curate these experiences. You know, some obvious ones like Disney and other great service firms that are thinking about how do we create really lasting, memorable moments. But also, ones you may not think as much about, like the uh, the medal ceremony in the Olympics. Like what a amazing, emotional profound patriotic moments. And, and we take it for granted now, you know, standing on the three platforms and the flag raising and the anthem playing. But somebody in human history sat down and sketched out an idea for what that moment might look like. And so anyway, long story short, we, we spent about two hours brainstorming. We charged out of the study into the living room where our family was gathered and we announced triumphantly, <laughs> we have a new book idea. It's going to be about defining moments. And what was funny is there was this visible sense of relief on our <laughs> family's faces because they had all 
secretly hated the previous book idea, but it had just been too nice to tell us. <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys spent that time in the library and uh, did that brainstorming session. Because like I mentioned in the prequel, I really did enjoy this book. I took a lot out Thank of it. You. And I, I really feel like I'm looking at life in kind of different different lights these days, actually. So how do you guys actually define moments in your book? Are moments one distinct period of time? Can they extend? Yeah, so what, what we're talking about is is the phrase defining moments. And what we mean by that are the moments that bring meaning to our lives, the moments we remember when we look back. So those moments could range from your wedding day to a great vacation experience to a particular day in high school when a teacher took you aside and commented on a talent maybe you didn't even know you had. And what we're trying to find in the book are some commonalities among these moments. What is it precisely that makes these moments stand out? With the idea being if we can figure out what these moments are made of, you know, maybe that empowers us to create more of them. And that's exactly what we're trying to accomplish with the book is to say anybody who is in the business of creating experience for other people. So that might be someone with a service business. It might be a teacher trying to create a great experience for students or nurses and doctors trying to create a great experience for patients or even just parents thinking of their kids, that we have a playbook you can use to create the kinds of moments that make experiences great. And so that was the quest we set out to accomplish with this one. Yeah, you guys mentioned the four elements of defining moments in the book. Any chance you could hit on those four elements? Yeah, absolutely. So in the book, we we make the claim that when you think about what distinguishes great experiences or great moments, there are really four elements that keep popping up again and again. The first is elevation, which is the sense that a moment lifts you above the everyday and it sparks positive emotions like joy and delight and surprise, um, sometimes a deep sense of engagement. So Think about birthday parties and um, athletic competitions and drinks with friends at sunset. The, the second is insight. So these are moments that rewire our understanding of ourselves and our world. So that moment at work when you realize I can't take one more day of this job or uh, you're having dinner with someone special one night and you realize, oh my gosh, this may be the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Those are moments of insight. The third are moments of pride. And these are times that capture us at our best. You know, we're achieving things we weren't sure we could, or maybe other people are recognizing us for our work or our talents. So think award ceremonies or hitting the finish line at a marathon or, or being praised by a mentor or someone you respect. And then finally, these moments are often moments of connection. They deepen our ties to other people. Sometimes that's in an individual relationship. And sometimes it's a group that bonds, uh, often by virtue of struggling on something really hard that is, is bigger than any one person in the group. And so those moments might range from successful product launches to deep personal conversations to, you know, really nice gestures from friends or colleagues. And so the book's thesis is that if we want to create better experiences for other people, we need to layer in more of these elements that, that we actually have a power to create these defining moments for other people. Were there one of these four elements that almost have a, has an overwhelming impact on these moments or you see much more of these moments with one of these? I think the one you see most frequently is connection. You know, so often there is a social element to these moments that stand out. Like if you think about kind of the, the, the most memorable positive moments in your life, you know, graduation days and 
weddings and, and great trips and you notice how many times they're social. And, and in fact, a lot of times there's actually an audience involved. Think of the audience at a graduation or an audience at a wedding day. And and I think what that illustrates is that for something to really stand out in memory, often um, often it's because these moments deepened our relations to other people or deepened our ties. So a lot of the listeners today that entrepreneurs, business owners, they want to advance their career. How do businesses do a better job creating these moments? Let me tell you one of my favorite stories we came across in, in researching this. So there's this hotel in uh, LA called the Magic Castle Hotel. And if you've never stayed at this hotel, I just want you to take a second and just picture the Magic Castle Hotel. And now let me assure you that the actual hotel looks nothing like that picture that's in your brain right now. <laughs> It is actually a, a two-story apartment complex built in the 50s that was at some point converted to what is effectively a motel. It's been painted bright yellow. If you saw the pictures, and I would urge you to Google it online so you can see for yourself, it is an utterly average-looking place. It looks like you know, kind of a well-kept-up budget motel. And so the only puzzle here is that that hotel, the Magic Castle, is currently rated the number two in all of Los Angeles according to thousands of reviews on TripAdvisor, it outranks places like the Ritz-Carlton, like the Four Seasons. And so you just kind of scratch your head and you're like, how in the world could a place that's so modest looking be that well regarded? And the answer is that they figured out how important moments are. Like one of my favorite things that they do is they uh, have this cherry red phone mounted by the pool in the courtyard of the, the place. And just above the phone, uh, the phone is a sign that says Popsicle Hotline. And if you pick up the phone, somebody will say, we'll be right out. And they'll bring <laughs> out a tray of grape and cherry and orange popsicles delivered to you poolside on a silver tray by someone wearing white gloves like an English butler, all for free. And they have these menus. They have a snack menu where you can request you know, root beer and Sour Patch Kids and Cheetos at the front desk, all for free, just for asking. They have a board game menu and a movie menu where you can check out things for free and you can drop off your laundry in the morning and they'll wash and fold it, have it ready for you at the end of the day. And again and again in the reviews, what's striking is these are the moments that people are talking about. These are the moments that people recall. And so I think, you know, at, at one level, this is a story about a hotel. At one level, it's a story about a popsicle hotline. But but to me, this is actually a symbol of the message of the whole book, that what we know about experiences is that even great experiences in our lives are not perfect. You know, they're not nonstop perfection. And in fact, the phrase that we include in the book is that a lot of great experiences are mostly forgettable and occasionally remarkable. Hmm. And, and the trick is that those remarkable moments don't create themselves. We've got to invest in those moments, what we call in the book, peak moments, and the Magic Castle is a perfect illustration of that. You know, people are willing to forgive a hotel that looks average. They're willing to forgive rooms that are average, furnishings that are average, as long as there's some moments that are worth remembering. And so I think that's someone, if you've got a business that serves customers, uh, I, would, I would urge you to be thinking about what are those peak moments that those customers will take with them. And if, if you don't have an answer to that, I think that's a great opportunity. So when you guys are writing this book, how do you come across the Magic Castle? I think Chip had stayed there, or if, if not that, maybe he had been in contact with the founder of the Magic Castle 
Uh, that that's my memory. And then subsequently, I stayed there myself, and was just struck by by this this pattern of. I, I mean, it, I, I can't overemphasize just how average this place is. I walked into my room, and it, it was neither impressive nor unimpressive. It was sort of like just a perfectly <laughs> average place. But then, as you start to hang around, and as you start to see you know, kids making use of the popsicle hotline and going to the front desk and getting snacks. And you see these huge smiles on their faces. You realize, you know, not every detail has to be perfect, but some moments have to be special. And those moments deserve investment. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all-day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. As someone who's always looking for ways to improve my mental and physical performance, I started using Four Sigmatic about a year ago, and I love their products. At Four Sigmatic, they believe in the real magic of functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane, as well as other superfoods and adaptogens to help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. Everyone's talking about Four Sigmatic, including Time Magazine, Vogue, Forbes, even the New York Times. My favorite product is their convenient new Brain Stick Pack. Perfect before a workout or a study session, their dual mushroom blend supports memory attention and brain health. I also have been using their cordyceps before workouts and love the results. I've experienced the benefits of these delicious packets, but now it's time for you to as well. To receive 15% off your order, use discount code WGYT at checkout at foursigmatic.com or by heading to foursigmatic.com forward slash WGYT. I mean, I'm sure a lot of these people are listening and saying, all right, well, well, what's that return on investment for these small little things? And a company you guys did a great job describing this with was Southwest Airlines. Can you talk about Southwest, what they do a brilliant job of, and then how what you guys discovered from a financial standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. So I imagine a lot of your listeners have flown Southwest in the last year and so you may have been on a flight where they did these or, or do these cheeky flight safety announcements. So they'll just have some fun with the standard spiel. And, uh, what you may not know is at Southwest headquarters, there's actually a, a wall of fame where they have plaques on the wall that, that encode their favorite jokes that flight attendants have made over the years. So one of my all-time favorites is um, put the oxygen mask on yourself first, then on your child. If you're traveling with more than one child, start with the one who has more potential. <laughs> Just genius, cynical <laughs> parenting humor. So you, you've probably heard these over the years and, and they're fun, you know, and people chuckle and it, it's a great way to get a little more enthusiasm, a little more fun out of something that might be just a rote announcement. But my brother was working with the, uh, the Southwest Analytics team. So, you know, they have troves of data on how customers are, are receiving their services and how customers feel about them. And, and Chip asked them, what are funny flight safety announcements worth? You know, do they have any business value or just the, are they just these funny, playful things that happen? And it turned out they actually had all the data they needed to answer that because they had, you know, elaborate survey data, but they also had customer purchase histories. And so it was possible to say for the customers who cited a funny flight safety announcement as something positive on their flight, did they spend more money with Southwest? Because we knew what they spent before. We knew what they spent after. You know, were they more loyal to Southwest afterwards? And the answer was yes. 
they were more loyal to the to the effect of flying an extra half flight with Southwest in the year following a funny flight safety announcement. Averages, obviously, it's kind of hard to pull off a half flight in in reality, but but that's a pretty remarkable uptick in loyalty from just something that lasted two minutes and was full of jokes. So then we took the next step and we said, all right, well, what's the economic value of that increased loyalty? And so we did a bit of a thought experiment. So um, the number of people who who highlight these funny flight safety announcements on surveys is is about one and a half percent. So about one and a half percent of the surveys will cite that. And we said, what if we lived in a world where three percent cited them? You know, so we're doubling that that extra quotient of loyalty that comes from these. And it turns out that the incremental value of accomplishing that would be more than $140 million in revenue annually just from having more funny flight safety announcements. And when we heard that and when we crunched those numbers, it, it kind of made our brains explode because this is just a very different you know, level of, of seriousness than we would have guessed. You know, We would have thought, hey, this is just something fun and playful that's, that's good in the moment, but, but there's really no, you know, financial return. There's no ROI per se from a funny flight safety announcement. And that just turns out to be dead wrong. But if you, if you put that through the filter of the magic castle, you understand why, you know, that, that many aspects of the Southwest experience. And I say this having flown Southwest literally yesterday are very, very average. You know, you have to stand in those queues at the airport for 15 minutes before you board. And inevitably every seat on a Southwest flight is full. So you're crowded in the seats and and the drink and snack service is very, very mediocre. And it's like in the context of that very average experience, a really great, funny, offbeat announcement might well be the peak moment. And so it helps to explain why something seemingly so simple can be so powerful in memory and in financial terms. Yeah, I mean, if you're someone looking to improve their business, that statistic on that ROI alone should really perk you up and and get you brainstorming some additional ideas you can do for your own business. And I mean, this isn't only about the customers. This is also about the employees. And a company I think that you guys highlighted that did an incredible job on this was John Deere. Can you kind of talk about how they set their employees up for success early on? Yeah, so the context of this is... Um, in the book, we're talking about how powerful transitions are in life and, and how often, if you look at cultural rituals, for instance, they're often pegged to transitions. So earlier I was talking about wedding days and graduation ceremonies and so forth. And, and those are transition moments, you know, the transition from being single to being married or the, the transition from being in school to being out or, you know, the rites of passage ceremonies or the transition from childhood to adulthood. And so that's one theme of the book is, you know, when someone's in the midst of a transition, that's a really important thing and probably deserving of an investment. And so in that context, if you think about the first day of work for a new employee, you realize, aha, like, this is a really important time because, you know, the employee is making a, a physical trans, uh, transition to a new space and a social transition to working with new people and an intellectual transition doing new kinds of work. So you say, aha, this is something we need to invest in. And then you look around and probably, if you're listening to this, you probably had experiences like this too. You realize that the vast majority of organizations totally blow this moment. You know, it, it's usually the kind of thing where you show up and the receptionist didn't think you were starting until the next week and <laughs> they show you to your desk and, you know, nothing's set up right. So they have you hang around and read like a compliance binder until the IT people come over and, and it's just a mess. 
And what a, what a terrible way to create a first impression at this uh, transition moment. So as we researched this, we came across a team from John Deere that had managed to completely flip this around and say, this is a moment where we're going to demonstrate to these new people what they mean to us and how, how important they are to us. So let me walk you through kind of how their first day experience works. So it, it actually starts before you even start. You start getting emails from someone who uh, announces themselves as a, as a friend from work and, and they tell you how things work and where people go to lunch and what people wear and where you should park on your first day. And on your first day you arrive and, and, and there's your friend waiting for you at the front door with a cup of coffee and they show you into the lobby and on the, the big screen monitors in the lobby, it says, you know, welcome Sean. And you're like, wow, that's, that's pretty <laughs> cool. They, they recognize me and you get shown up to your desk and the screensaver is all these beautiful shots of, of farmers doing their work at, at sunset. And, and it says, welcome to the most important work you'll ever do. And in your email box, you've got the first email and it turns out it's from the CEO of John Deere. And in a short video, he talks about his career and he explains the mission of John Deere, which is to provide the food and shelter and infrastructure that's going to be needed by the world's growing population. Your colleagues take you off to lunch off-site, and they tell you about the projects that are going on, and they pepper you with a bunch of questions about your background. And um, in the afternoon, your boss and your boss's boss both come by to make uh, appointments to have coffee with you in the next week. And at the end of the day, you walk out thinking, wow, you know, I, I – seem to belong here. And I think the work that we're doing here matters. And, and that is such a, a profound thing to have invested in. I have so much respect for uh, the John Deere team that made that happen, led by uh, Lonnie Lawrence Fry. And it, and it makes you think, you know, what are those missed opportunities in our world and in our work where, you know, nine out of 10 companies are missing a moment to make a mark. And then someone like John Deere figures out, hey, if we get this right, it's really, really important. Yeah, right when I read that, I mean, I was almost regretful that different employees I'd brought in hadn't done something special like that and didn't truly understand the impact that could have for the long-term success in their organization. So definitely I hope more people are implementing these little things. And how else do we get these employees motivated? I know you guys kind of hit on two of the best motivators, autonomy and creativity. Can you hit on that a bit? Yeah, I would highlight even a, even a different one, which is uh, recognition. And you know, I'll be honest, this was something that that kind of surprised us in our research. We were doing surveys about um, the defining moments in people's careers. And some of the things that were coming back in these surveys just sounded um, really average in a way. Um, I remember I was thinking just as a as a kind of stereotype that people were going to say things like, you know, getting a lifetime achievement award at the annual uh, company meeting or, um, you know, the, 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 the moment when they closed a, a critical client deal. And instead they sounded more like this. Here's an actual example we got from somebody. I was greatly commended by my manager for prepping the back room by cleaning and reorganizing all the bikes for easy scanning for inventory. I felt proud that someone actually took the time to acknowledge my effort. Hmm. Now that's pretty mundane, right? And yet this person is citing that as one of their defining moments from the past few years of their career. And I think what this tells us is a couple of things. Number one, moments of recognition may seem small, 
but they're incredibly important because they blend all four of those elements we were talking about earlier. You know, there's there's the elevation, that kind of rush that you get that you can't suppress a smile when someone says something nice like that to you. And and the insight that you get, often we learn about ourselves from how other people talk about us and the things that they highlight. And of course, the whole thing is a moment of pride. You're being held up for something you've done. And the moment itself creates connection. You know, you walk away from that moment of praise thinking, you know, wow, I feel a little bit closer to my boss or to my mentor. And so number one, moments of recognition have this this kind of extraordinary power that might defy what we would have assumed. And the second thing is, there's a study that asked managers, do you frequently give recognition to the per- people who work for you? You know, do you call them out for work that they've done? And 80% of the managers say, yeah, 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 I, d- I definitely do that. And then the researchers went and talked to their direct reports and say, do your managers frequently, you know, praise you for the work you're doing? And only 20% of the employees said that that was true. So the managers thought 80%, employees thought 20%. We call that the recognition gap. <laughs> and so if you're listening to this and you have people reporting to you, let, let me tell you the simplest game plan for creating more defining moments for the people who work for you and in so doing, making them happier, making them more engaged, making them more loyal. And that is triple the amount of recognition you give. You know, Not just a little bit more, but a lot more. There is not a person listening to this right now, who's currently thinking, you know, I, I just wish people would stop recognizing me so much. It's really becoming a drag. Like there, there is no ceiling on the amount of recognition that people like. And what we learn from things like that recognition gap study is we're way, way, way below the amount of recognition that people would appreciate. I'm sure. I mean, you can implement that in your personal life as well, right? Yeah, I mean, it certainly would not hurt to to be more kind with compliments to your spouse and kids as well. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that one wouldn't hurt. Another thing you guys hit on is is breaking the script, and I loved this story with Joshi the giraffe. Can you talk mm. about how, what that did for this family, and then obviously what you'll talk about is how this went viral and affected so many people. Yeah, some people may be uh, familiar with this story. It went viral a few years back. So the story is this family goes on vacation in Florida, and they're with their little boy, and he's got this this special friend. And any parent with like a toddler or a young kid will will empathize with this. It's a stuffed giraffe named Joshi, and and he always sleeps with Joshi. That's his buddy. And so they get home from vacation, and they realize, oh God, we left Joshi at the hotel. And so there's this freak out moment. And and so the father you know, kind of assessed his options. What am I going to do about this? And he decides, I'm just going to lie through my teeth to my son and try to get him to sleep. And so he tells his son, oh, you know, Joshy decided to stay longer at the resort. He just, you know, he felt like he needed a little bit more rest. And and somehow, you know, his son seemed to buy it and got to sleep. And and in the meantime, the, the dad is frantically calling the hotel. It was a Ritz-Carlton to say, hey, you know, have you found this giraffe? And he also confessed to the staffer who answered, you know, he said, hey, you know, and I told this little white lie to my son, would you do me a huge favor and just, you know, take a picture of the giraffe like on a, a pool chair or something so I can, you know, show my son that he was really enjoying himself. So the Ritz sends back Joshi. And not only do they uh, acknowledge that request, but they actually send a whole photo album of Joshi on vacation. So it's you know, sunning by the pool and it's um, <laughs> laying on a massage table at the spa with cucumber slices over his eyes. And it's, you know, Joshi 
in the a security control room with his hand on, you know, some of the camera controls and, and Joshi in a golf cart and, and Joshi with a parrot on his shoulder and just this amazing, you know, uh, almost unbelievable thing that they had done um, just to be responsive to this family and to be playful and to create some delight. And so the dad was was so amazed by this. I mean, the son, you know, the son, the main thing to the son was I got Joshi back, but the parents were just um, blown away by what the Ritz people had done. And the dad wrote a blog post about it, which subsequently went viral because everybody thought this was an amazing story. You should Google it and, and check out the photos. They're really, really playful. And that's an example of something in the book we call breaking the script. And what that means is that often what makes experiences memorable for people is something that defies their expectations of what's going to unfold. And in fact, if you look at, you know, Yelp reviews or TripAdvisor reviews, I think you're going to see this theme again and again. Like nobody is raving about something that perfectly met their expectations. You know what I mean? Like at the, at the, at the magic castle, uh, no one is saying, you know, my check-in was orderly and the room was perfectly functional and the parking lot was uh, located conveniently to the lobby. You know, no one is saying that people are talking about the things that went beyond their expectations for the service. And that's the story of the Popsicle Hotline. And it's also the story of Joshi. So if, if we want to create memories for our customers, if we want to create those, those remarkable moments, those peak moments, we've got to break the script. I mean, just so many incredible stories throughout this entire book. And I almost want to transition now more to the at-home life. And one of my favorite entrepreneurs, uh, Sarah Blakely, and the story you hit on about her and her dad when she's growing up, can you tell that story? And I think this will just help people at their at-home life really think about things and, and think how they can implement some of these little conversations to help their kids out. It's such a fascinating story. I actually didn't know it before we were researching this book. But so Sarah Blakely is the, the founder of Spanx. She was uh, the youngest self-made female billionaire in history. And in a way, Spanx is a very simple product. In fact, she is approached frequently by women who came up with the same idea and had kind of been uh, you know, doing guerrilla versions of Spanx for years. And they're like, well, why am I not a billionaire? And the best answer to that is, Sarah Blakely, to bring Spanx to life, had to endure what I can only describe as a gauntlet of failure. It's like everywhere she turned for help with this and for partners, she faced rejection and sometimes mockery. Like there's a story of this meeting with a law firm that she wanted help from. And uh, one of the partners was this guy who kept looking around kind of suspiciously and she didn't know what in the world was going on with him. And and later he confessed that he thought her idea was so dumb that she thought he thought she must be with candid camera. And he kept looking <laughs> around for the hidden camera in the office. She couldn't find anybody to produce samples of the Spanx product because all the textile mills, I mean, I, I suspect literally all are owned and run by men and they didn't get it. It was only after this one mill owner who talked about this crazy idea with his daughters and they said, dad, that sounds good. Like, why don't you do that? That she finally got a chance to produce. And so the question is, is really not where did she get this idea, but how did she survive the failure that was necessary to get her to success? And point one is just before she founded Spanx, she had spent years as a fax saleswoman, fax machine saleswoman. I mean, imagine, and, and literally she would sometimes go door to door selling fax machines cold 
talk about a difficult sales challenge. So that was that was point one and what equipped her to survive this. But she traces it back even further. She says that one really important thing to her in her ability to survive failure and to survive struggle was was her father. And she says when when they would have dinner growing up, he would always ask a question. And the question was, what did you guys fail at this week? And that seems a little counterintuitive for him to, you know, be probing for failure. But he said that the effect on her was really profound, that that he wanted them to try everything they wanted to try and, and not to fall in that trap that people fall into so frequently, which is you kind of want to do something, but you're afraid that if you fail, you're going to be embarrassed or, or people are going to think badly of you or people are going to laugh at you. And so you just don't try. And so her father, by asking that question and wanting a response and encouraging a response, was teaching her to define failure as not trying something she wanted to do rather than not achieving the right outcome. I think that might be my favorite story in this entire book. I mean, you have been incredibly successful in what you've done. You've sold over 2 million copies of your book, New York Times bestselling author. Are there any little things like that that maybe aren't in this book that you do on a daily or weekly basis that you think have really helped you out in life? Oh, boy. That's a tough one. I, I, th- I think I'd have to think more about that. Yeah, I, I know you've had a lot of, of, of guests on the show that have ideas about um, uh, personal productivity and, and self-improvement. I'm curious, like what are the greatest hits that you've, you've heard over the years? I mean, we, we've talked a lot about different morning routines and it, it seems like when people can control certain variables throughout their day, it allows them to free up time for their mental space where they can just be on a walk and, and have that strike of brilliance. And it seems like the more they can do that with their life, they really see these unbelievable returns. So I kind of wanted to jump into your writing process and, and each book for you guys is so different. How with two authors, how do you guys go about writing your books? You know, I'm not sure that there's anything super exciting about it. I mean, it's 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 kind of constrained by reality. He's in uh, my brother Chip is in California, and I'm in Durham, North Carolina, and so, you know, we might be in person together once or twice a year. So the vast majority of our writing happens on the phone, and you know, we're passing drafts back and forth. And uh, with the first book, it was a real challenge. I mean, number one, because we just had no idea what we were doing and never written a book before and didn't know how to write a book. And so we're just kind of stumbling our way forward. Do you mind me asking how you guys decided to write a book then? How'd you jump into that? We had a, a giant stroke of luck, which was, um, our first book was called made to stick. It's about how do you communicate in ways that, that make your message or messages stick with audiences. And, um, my brother had been researching urban legends so, you know, things like uh, uh, somebody who found a rat in their bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken and, you know, that, that sort of <laughs> stuff that goes viral all the time. And, uh, and so he'd done this, this just amazing research. And, and one, one study I remember that he did, this is years ago, he would, alt- he would actually alter the level of disgustingness in a particular story to see if the more disgusting tales were stickier and, and I should probably not go into the the full levels of disgust, but it was stuff like the Kentucky Fried Rat. Anyway, he had written a paper in a journal somewhere about some of his early findings about what it is that makes ideas stick. And somehow an editor at Random House named Ben Lannon happened to come across this uh, article and called up Chip and said, hey, you know, this was really interesting to me. Do you think there's there's more here? Is there enough to get a book uh, out of. And 
And so, you know, Chip later called me and kind of said, hey, do you want to work on a book together? Because between the two of us, I'm more of the writer and he's more of the researcher. And so we just had this kind of grand door opened by life um, with the editor stumbling across that article. And I don't think absent Ben's intervention, we ever would have done this. Um, you know, we never planned to write a book together and neither one of us thought we were on the track of becoming an author. It was just such an amazing opportunity. We immediately jumped at it and then we had a bunch of lucky breaks when the book launched and all of a sudden it was like this whole career track opened up that had been invisible to us before. Hmm. Anything new you guys work are working on? We are taking a, a mind break right now. You know, it's been, it's a heavy lift to get a book done and then it's a, it's a even heavier lift to get it promoted and out. So I think we're just, we're having a kind of mental palate cleanser right now before we discuss book five. Well, I think that sounds like a good idea. I have two quick hit questions for you before yeah. uh, we link the listeners up with you. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? Gosh, you have all these great questions. I should have been thinking about in advance. Um, yeah, there's so many things. I mean, people have been so, so kind to me in life. I, I, since we're talking about the books, I'll highlight something Chip did for me. Um, this was years ago. I had just graduated from undergrad and um, I had majored in liberal arts and as as is the thought of many liberal arts majors, I thought, well, I better go on to law school so I can, uh, you know, have a job someday. Um, and so I had uh, applied and been admitted to law school. And my brother, knowing me well, thought this was a terrible idea and that that I would hate the law. And I think he was exactly right. But um, in addition to saying that, he actually made me an offer. And that was, he said he would pay for my apartment uh, he was living in Chicago at the time. He said he'd pay for an apartment for me uh, for a year if I just deferred law school. And then, you know, we could monkey around. We had some different business ideas at that time uh, that we pursued. And over the course of that year, um, a bunch of stuff happened that that opened doors. And and sure enough, I realized that that law school was was every bit as absurd for me as he had realized it was. And so just that generosity to say, hey, I think you're you're taking a wrong turn in life, and and I'm going to spend my own money from keep you to keep you from making that turn. That's profound. Yeah, I mean, I didn't mean to throw you on the spot there with that question, but I just kind of wanted to see your thought process behind it. And to hear that story, that's something I had never heard before, and that, that's unbelievable to have someone in your life who who's willing to do that for you and, yeah. and understand what you're capable of and, and kind of how to trajectory onto your career. And so final question here, do you have one singular most memorable day in your business career? Maybe it was the release of a certain book or, or I don't know, a certain interview or study you got to do, anything like that? Boy, another good question. Um, I, I'm, I'm asking the question because I'm curious how you view success in your business career. Mm. I mean, this could be the release of a book and instead of seeing a New York Times bestseller, it's the the celebratory dinner you had with your wife that evening. I mean, I'm just kind of curious what what it's like behind the scenes for you. I, I don't know. I would I would need to think more before saying like here's the number one on the charts, but um but, but lots of of really powerful moments come to mind and and one of them was just, you know, I, I talked a little bit about the launch of Made to Stick. One of them was just going to a bookstore and seeing the book displayed there. I mean, just, uh, I'll never forget what it's like is I've always been such a, a bookstore junkie and to go to a bookstore 
And to see a book with my name on it presented there, like it was just such a, such a profound moment. Um, it, it was just so, so tangible, you know, that, that I had created something um, that other people were going to read and, and benefit from and, and to see it on the shelf next to other authors who were, you know, f- far more impressive than me. Like it was just a moment that brings home like, wow, that was, that was really worth the effort. That moment is so cool. And you should be so proud of the books you wrote, Made to Stick, Switch, Decisive, and then your most recent book, The Power of Moments. How can the listener stay connected with you? How can they read more about your books? Where can they get them at? Yeah, so the best place to to come visit us is at our website. It's heathbrothers.com. That's Heath, like the candy bar, Heath, H-E-A-T-H. We are uh, social media idiots, so uh, we don't <laughs> we don't have a Twitter or Facebook or any of that stuff. But uh, but on our website, we actually have a bunch of of really interesting resources that are available for free, um, podcasts and workbooks and whatnot. So even if you uh, you're not ready to take the plunge on the books, there's still a bunch of goodies you can check out there. Wow. Well, Dan Heath, we will definitely get all that linked up in the show notes, but I cannot thank you enough for joining us on What Got You There and best of luck with everything you have going on. Hey, thanks so much, Sean. As someone who's always looking for ways to improve my mental and physical performance, I started using Four Sigmatic about a year ago and I love their products. At Four Sigmatic, they believe in the real magic of functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane, as well as other superfoods and adaptogens to help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. Everyone's talking about Four Sigmatic, including Time Magazine, Vogue, Forbes, even the New York Times. My favorite product is their convenient new Brain Stick Pack. Perfect before a workout or study session, their dual mushroom blend supports memory attention and brain health. I also have been using their cordyceps before workouts and love the results. I've experienced the benefits of these delicious packets, but now it's time for you to as well. To receive 15% off your order, use discount code WGYT at checkout at foursigmatic.com or by heading to foursigmatic.com forward slash WGYT. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted a cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. Let's face it, we all want to look good in the clothes we wear, but I got tired of sifting through the racks looking for a quality pair of jeans that cost less than $300. Then I found Distilled. DSTLD, pronounced Distilled, offers premium denim and essentials at an affordable price. Their products cost just one-third of what other premium brands charge because Distilled refuses to work with middlemen, bringing savings directly to you. Just go to dstld.com right now and use the promo code JOURNEY10 in all caps at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. 
If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.